If you don't have an email list, then you don't have a direct line to your customers. Reaching your clients, audience, supporters, and fans with the right message at the right time in the right place becomes easy when you've got a strategic email list in place. My email list is the number one way I drive profits in my business. And major bonus here, it's a lot easier and way more fun than you might think. That's why I'm teaching a free live workshop all about growing your email list called From Zero Subscribers or Zero Strategy to an Engaged Email List That Lasts. I'll show you how to kick off your email list building strategy with no fear because I know it can be scary to start something new in your business. Save your virtual seat at growanemaillist.com. Inside of my free live workshop, you'll learn why email marketing is 10 times more effective than posting on social media, my secret to sending out weekly emails without adding a ton of work to my plate, my best tips for getting people to hit subscribe, and what to actually say to them to convert them from subscribers to paying clients and customers. Save your seat now at growanemaillist.com. That's growanemaillist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. You're about to miss out. It is time. It is time for you to start sharing the knowledge you already have and get paid for it. Amy Porterfield's signature program, Digital Course Academy, is open and welcoming in a fresh class of students for a short amount of time. And trust me when I say you're going to want to be one of them. This program taught me everything I know about creating, selling, launching, and automating online courses. Courses that have made me millions of dollars, but beyond that, courses that have given me the time, freedom, and impact that I crave. Enroll today and get started at jennacutcher.com forward slash DCA. Plus, when you join the Digital Course Academy with my link, I am also giving you an entire Jenna Kutcher bonus experience. I've literally thought through everything that you would want from me to help you implement and get success fast with Amy's system. It's like the queen of courses, Amy, and the queen of simplification, me, teamed up to ensure that you follow through, implement, and have every tool in your toolkit. I'm talking templates, private trainings, insights into my own launches, and so much more, all waiting for you free when you join DCA. Time is running out. Head to jennacutcher.com forward slash DCA to get your course and my special bonus offer before the doors close on September 28th. Again, that's jennacutcher.com forward slash DCA. You're listening to the Gold Digger podcast, episode number 212. I don't know who's more excited about today's show, me or Drew, but it's safe to say that excited might be an understatement. Samantha Ponder was named host of Sunday NFL Countdown in March 2017, has reported, interviewed, and been live for football in a variety of formats and for various programs over the years. Prior to ESPN, Sam was a host and reporter for Fox Sports, where she contributed to both Fox Sportsnet and Fox College's coverage of college basketball and football. As a host, she led the pregame, halftime, and postgame studio shows for various events. Safe to say, she She's carved a name for herself in a male-dominated sports industry. In addition to her role as a host, Ponder also contributes to NFL interviews and features. Today, we're going to pick Sam's brain about carving a path of her own in a male-dominated industry. In this episode, you're going to learn how you can make a name for yourself in whatever industry you're in. Sam is going to teach you how to network, be bold, and create the path of your dreams. Before we dive on into today's show, I want to read the review, which comes from Rain784. 
It's titled, Like Listening to My Best Friend. It says, Jenna does an amazing job breaking down content in a real and understandable way. I feel like she's a friend telling me all of her knowledge and expertise. She inspires me to grow my business in ways I didn't even plan to and look forward to her weekly podcast. I'll be a fan for life, Jenna. Keep being awesome. Guys, I am so excited to hear from you each and every single week in those reviews that you're leaving. And if you're tuning in today, take a screenshot and just post it to Instagram stories and tag me. There is nothing more fun for us to see who's tuning on in. So without further ado, let's hear from our girl, Sam Ponder. You're listening to the Gold Digger podcast, where we firmly believe that work doesn't have to feel like work. Self-made millionaire and marketing guru, Jenna Kutcher, will help you redefine what success looks like. It's time to hear from the experts, listen in on honest conversations, and learn the best tips and tricks that helped others pave their own way and craft their dream career. If you're ready to dig in, do the work, and tackle your biggest goals, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, photographer, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. All right, Sam. So, I mean, I told you this already. I don't know who's more excited, me or my husband, that you're on the show. But truth be told, I feel like we are kindred spirits. And so welcome to the Gold Digger podcast. Thanks for having me, Jenna. This is awesome. This is so fun. Okay, so I got to watch you on TV the other day. And I was like, she is a woman after my own heart. You had on some sneakers with your cute outfit. And that is totally my style. We were just talking about how I cannot walk in high heels, never been able to. So just so you know, you're also a fashion icon in case you were wondering. (laughs) Okay, well, sometimes I'm like, I really need to look a certain way to do this job. You know, everybody wears heels and everything. And then sometimes I'm like, I'm talking about football, like a bunch of sweaty dudes in tights holding a leather ball. Like, and now I think it's ruined me too. Cause once you wear sneakers the first time on TV and you're like, I I can't go back. Let's make it your signature item. Like, let's just make it a thing. I love that. Yeah. It worked pretty well in week one. Oh my gosh. Week one. You got it, girl. So walk us through your journey because I've been following you, not just as an analyst, but as a mom and everything that you've gone through in the recent years. So how did this all come to be? Like, was this something you dreamed of forever? What is the story behind you? Yeah. So I was, I was a big dreamer as a kid, but I was also a realist. And I remember specifically in third grade, you know, I grew up playing a ton of sports and I have an older sister and two younger brothers. And we were just a sports minded family because my dad coaches basketball and football. And in third grade, I lost a race for the second time to the same girl in my third grade class. And as much (laughs) as I wanted to play sports professionally, I remember thinking at that age, well, if there's a girl in my class that is faster (laughs) than me and better at sports, maybe pro sports aren't going to be my thing. So I think I want to talk about them on TV. And I literally decided then I wrote a little paper about it a year later and said, that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be the next Ahmad Rashad because he used to host NBA inside stuff. And I wanted to get to interview these athletes and kind of see the behind the scenes on their life. So that was kind of the only plan I ever had. Now, when I say plan, I had no clue what it took (laughs) to actually do that, even through high school. So when I graduated high school, I grew up in Phoenix. I got on a plane and moved to New York City 
and didn't have any money. I had a credit card that had like a $250 limit. (laughs) But I thought that's where all the networks are. So I guess that's where I should move to try and do sports broadcasting. I mean, my plan, if this doesn't tell you something about how naive I was, I thought there was a restaurant called ESPN Zone in the middle of Times Square. And I actually thought that that would be a great place to network. Like it's ESPN zone. It it was a restaurant. I was a host literally feeding people in town from Idaho at their seats. But in my mind, that was a place to meet people. And sure enough, I met some guys that ran the internship department at ABC and some guys that were doing radio there and just started networking through that. So it really, I mean, that's why whenever people ask for advice on how to break into the industry, I'm like, I don't know if that's the best road. <laughs> Become a hostess <laughs> yes, at a restaurant. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but, but I genuinely believe that God had a plan in all of that. And that, you know, it was just kind of taking those steps of faith when everyone was like, that's crazy. You can't, you don't know anybody in New York. You need to just go to a normal school and work your way up and be a broadcasting major. Like I was a politics, philosophy and economics major. I had no actual (laughs) training in this career whatsoever, but I loved football. I loved basketball. I knew the sports inside and out and I was comfortable talking about them on TV. So I kind of worked back from there. And my thought process, Jenna, was let me just go for it, right? Let me move to New York, see if it works. And if it doesn't work out, like, you can always go home. You can always go back and do whatever plan B was, but I wasn't going to think through plan B until I really went for plan A. That's incredible. So what was it like after your internship? Like what was the next step that happened? Because I'm assuming there are a ton of steps and missteps that happened between that and where you are today. Yeah, mostly missteps, (laughs) but I... I always kind of thought outside of the box because my thought process was growing up in Phoenix, you know, Arizona State is a great school for broadcasting and it's a huge school. And there are a million girls that look just like me and want to do the same thing I wanted to do. So my thought process was I don't want to put myself in that big pool where there are a lot of other people like me. Let me try and do things a little bit differently. So I interned at ABC when I was 18 just getting coffee for the college football studio show back then. And I remember specific, so I was starting to run out of money. I was doing like an extended internship. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I think, I mean, they actually paid us for the internship. I think we made like $9 an hour or something, which was for me at the time was a lot of money. And I remember eventually because I was living in New York, I'm thinking I can't afford, I mean, milk was $12, you know, (laughs) it was just expensive to live here. So my thought process was, let me go back to ASU and take some classes there because I could go there for free, live on my parents' couch a couple days a week. And then in order to maintain that internship, which was on Saturdays, I knew if I just stuck around these guys at the time, it was John Saunders, Craig James and Doug Flutie. And and they were willing to teach me and kind of bring me along and help me out. Once I realized that those relationships were super valuable, not only for me personally, but also for me professionally, I, I mean, I still feel embarrassed to say this. I got all the credit cards I had at this point. This was like two years into school and they were all had like such low limits. I bought flights from Phoenix 
to New York, put it all on credit cards in the summer so that I could keep that internship just on Saturdays. I had nowhere to stay. Like I would literally fly into JFK. I took a red eye from ASU. I would fly into JFK knowing I had no place to stay that night. I just had friends that hopefully someone would (laughs) respond. I would get ready for work in the terminal at JFK and then take the subway into ABC and stay with those guys all day on Saturday and just try and learn whatever I could. And turns out at the end of that internship, they said, Hey, why don't you jump up in the host chair during a commercial and we'll tape this with like the, you know, big time ABC set there and pretend like you are the host and we'll do a tape for you. And that tape was what got me job offers coming out of my internship. So all that money that I invested in, instead of like putting that money into, you know, some sort of training or schooling for broadcasting, I just kind of thought outside the box and realized it's the relationships that are going to make a difference here and the actual doing of the job, not necessarily just learning about it. And both ways work. I mean, I have plenty of friends who went to broadcasting school and are super successful now. But I knew for me, I had to do something a little different. I didn't want to just get in the same line where, you know, I would just be another another number. I knew that relationships were really what mattered in this industry. And so that worked out. I mean, it's still crazy to think that that's how it worked for me, but, <laughs> but it did. Did your parents just think you were crazy? Like, I can only imagine me like, okay, mom and dad, like flying back and forth. <laughs> Yeah, every week I did that. And no, they didn't think I was crazy. They knew I was crazy. Like they, <laughs> I've been this way since I was a little kid. I always had a little bit of fearlessness in me. And, and just that thought process of like, you know, if you follow your fear to its logical conclusion, you know, like if I, I was afraid that I wasn't going to make it, you know, I just kept following that thought process. And I always got to in the end, I'm still going to be okay. Like if I go to New York, and I can't get any jobs, and I don't make any money, and everybody says no, like, I'm still all right. Like this doesn't determine my worth. This is just a dream that I have that I want to go for. And if it doesn't work out, then I believe that it wasn't supposed to work out. And I can go home and there are still people who love me and support me there. So it kind of took the fear out of that at times. I'm not saying I, I wasn't still a little insecure and fearful about certain things, but big picture, I knew I just wanted to go for it and really try to do something in the way that I thought made sense. And if it didn't work, then you can always go back and go to broadcasting school and, and try and do it a more traditional way. I love that. So when I think about you as this young woman sending out this tape, which isn't necessarily a real report, but it's you doing a job. Did you hear a lot of no's? Because I feel like a lot of times we hear about that one big yes, but we never hear about all the no's that happened before that. There's a lot of silent no's in the industry, <laughs> meaning like you send stuff out like, and you hello? just hear nothing <laughs> back. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe they didn't get it, you know, like, sure. That makes you feel better to think about it that way. But yeah, I mean, I've heard no is just something you get used to hearing in this industry because it's such a common thing. And then once I kind of progressed and I started at Fox, once I was, you know, starting to work for different networks. I heard no's from executives or producers all the time. I have one story that I just love to tell because it's so indicative of 
how you have to be able to handle no in this industry. I remember my first year out, I was working at a network and it was 2009. And it was when Twitter just kind of, I think Twitter maybe started in 2008, but it was starting to get a little bit bigger. And I had this idea. I was a sideline reporter for college football and I had this idea. So I went into one of our executives office and I pitched using Twitter as a part of broadcast to get fans involved and for them to like tell me what they wanted to see or hear from the sideline, like real time interaction with fans. That was totally out of left field (laughs) for that period of time in TV. And I went in and I tell this executive my idea and I will never forget what he said. He said immediately, this tweeter thing is just a fad. And granted, I was maybe 21, 22. And so my initial thought was like, oh, gosh, I feel so dumb. You know, like that's a hard no when you have this whole pitch. (laughs) Like, okay, little girl is basically what he was saying. Like, I got a lot of sweetheart type comments. Yeah, yeah. More (laughs) on that later, I'm sure. uh, (laughs) And I remember walking out of the office and thinking like, man, that I feel so dumb. That was such a stupid idea. A couple of years later, Michelle Tafoya is using it on the Monday Night Football broadcast. Like, and it was just stuff like that early on where I realized no from that person is just a no from that person. I don't care if it's an executive or who it is. Like, that's just that person's thoughts and their their thoughts will evolve. I mean, when I first interviewed at ESPN, I was maybe 20, 21, and I again spent money that I didn't have to rent a car from New York City to drive up to Bristol and had all this expectation about what this interview, what I thought was an interview was going to be. And the person I was supposed to meet with that day literally came out. I was sitting outside of the office, came out and was like, hey, I don't have time today. Like, that's how unimportant I was. Sorry, you're really young. Like, keep working. I had driven two hours and rented a car that I didn't have money for for that. And that was it. I turned around and drove back home, like sobbing to what was that Miley Cyrus yes. song, The Climb? <laughs> like, I, I was so devastated because that was an immediate, I mean, I, I had put so much, I had like told my family I had an interview at ESPN, like the extent of my interview was like, hi, sorry, don't have time for you. But years later, now, of course, I'm working for them. So yes, to answer your question, no's are just, I mean, it feels like, especially now with young children, it's an everyday thing. (laughs) It's incredible. I am so curious because even to this day, when I tell people what I do, they kind of like treat it like it's a hobby or, you know, something. And I'm like, no, this is like a really big business. And I've just learned (laughs) that it's not my job to let people know what I do. But what was it like breaking in as this young, beautiful woman? I'm sure there were so many stereotypes. I'm sure there were so many people that just dismissed you. How was that? Because I can't imagine it was easy, but knowing you now, I'm sure you were determined to uh, set the record straight. (laughs) Yeah. And well, and for me, I always thought of it like, let's use the things that are a result of stereotypes or someone treating me different because I was a woman. Let's flip that and use it to our advantage. Like, so naturally when I was coming out, I was this young blonde, whatever, like 
they're going to put me into the sideline reporter role. I never really wanted to be a sideline reporter. I wanted to do more in-depth interviews. I wanted to host, but they naturally put the 22 year old girl into the sideline reporter position. So instead of being like, this is so unfair, I don't, you know, sideline reporting isn't my thing. I have bigger dreams and, you know, what's wrong with these stereotypes? I was like, look, I am going to use every opportunity I have in this role to set myself up for the next role. So, yeah, they may have put me in that role because I was a woman, but you know what I learned really quickly is that coaches would open up to me a lot more than they would some of my male counterparts. So some of the abilities that, look, this isn't for everyone, but generally speaking, women can be more, have more ability when it comes to communication or, you know, connecting with people emotionally. So I tried to use some of that to my advantage in conversations with coaches or with executives and really tried to develop some relationships early on that would pay off down the road. But yeah, I mean, when I was first starting, I heard it all. Like I said, almost every sentence with certain people would start with like, okay, sweetheart, honey, you know, (laughs) like that kind of thing. But I realized, you know what, I'm going to decide early on to be strategic and to set myself up as the role within this industry, the role of kind of like the coach's daughter, which is what I am. But I also realized that saying no to some of the offer, I mean, you know how it is, like when you don't have any money and somebody offers you some sort of opportunity, even if it's not really your thing, you're like, oh, maybe I should do that. So some of the magazines early on that reached out, I realized really quickly, like they're not setting me up to be a host or to do in-depth interviews. Like, no, they want you in a bikini and just, and if you do that, I'm not saying it's always going to end up this way, but in my industry, I've seen it more times than not. Then you set yourself up for failure because people don't see for whatever reason, a lot of people can't see beyond that. So then you get stuck in the sideline reporter role forever, which some people love, but for me, wasn't what I wanted. So I always tried to see like down the road, big picture, like this is not just today. I know I need money to eat, but beyond that, like let's say no to the things that don't set us up for the career I want in 10 years. Oh, I think that is such good advice because I feel like so many people teach everyone to say yes. Like when you're first starting out, say yes to everything. And I'm just like you, I'm like, protect your yeses. Make them the best yeses because one bad yes can really change a lot for you. I love that. So I am a sucker for a good love story. Can you walk us through how you met Christian and kind of what that looked like? (laughs) So Christian was playing for the Vikings in Minnesota and he was in his rookie. He had just finished his rookie season and I was a sideline reporter and a host down in Austin, Texas, working for Longhorn Network. But I had just gotten the call that I was going to be replacing Aaron Andrews on college game day. So my life was kind of like in this whirlwind. And there were a lot of people that sort of reached out over social media during that time to say congrats or whatever. And there were some people that I didn't really know. I got a message from Christian Ponder, who at the time I knew as the former Florida State quarterback. And 
I just, I remember thinking like, he asked me something about like living in Austin. It was a really innocuous question where I was like, why is he, I don't understand. Like, what's the connection here? We don't have mutual friends. Like, this is so weird. But he was putting it publicly on Twitter, which at the time for me, like kind of what we were just talking about, I was really purposeful about like, I don't want any, but there are already a lot of assumptions about women in my position. I'm not trying to have like cute little messages back and forth with a quarterback. Like this is not, this is not what I need. So I actually followed him back just to be like, Hey, can you not put that public? Like, I know there's nothing bad going on or whatever, but like, let's just not put that out for everyone to see. Cause I was already getting comments from people like, Hey, what's going on there? I'm like, I don't even know this man. But so yeah, it all literally all started from Twitter. And I mean, this is about as crazy as it gets. We, we met September 1st, 2012, and we were married December 17th, oh, 2012. Oh my gosh, no yeah. way. Yes. Yes, it was so I mean, in the paper in Minnesota, where we were living at the time, they said that I was pregnant. And I'm oh. like, Oh, okay, pregnancy is great. But no, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. They just assumed, I guess. But yeah, it was uh, it was all a whirlwind for sure. Oh, I love that. And how full circle from when you were telling that guy that you should be using Twitter for your job to meeting oh, I know. Gosh, I actually owe a lot to Twitter now that I'm thinking about it. I wish you were sponsored by them. On every other issue in my life, like I didn't know a million bad things about my body until I had Twitter either. So let's talk about the good and the bad. Let's talk about that because you know I think what is so incredible about what you do and you know your position is that you are front and center. Like you are this face. You are someone that women look up to and men enjoy hearing from and what does it look like? Because I mean, I have critics, I have so many critics on things like body and the way I speak and all the things. So how has it been having people point out your quote, perceived flaws? And like, what do you do to get past that? So I'll never forget the first game that I ever did. I was wearing a gray t-shirt and jeans because I had no clue like what you're supposed to wear (laughs) to do this job. But I knew I was on a football field. So I was like, let's be comfortable. But I had Twitter that day. It was right after I had pitched that idea. And I checked my mentions, which I feel like nothing good ever yeah. starts from checking. <laughs> Except for when mentions. Christian messages you. <laughs> yes, yes, other than that. But, but I remember checking and this is such a dumb little thing. Like it's not a big deal now looking in hindsight. But at the time, you know, growing up without social media, if you heard something bad about yourself, it was like from a bully, like someone at school who was really mean. But generally speaking, like if you had a supportive, loving family, you weren't hearing all of this feedback about yourself all the time. And so I checked my Twitter mentions and some guy in some random place who I'm sure is a lovely gentleman, but (laughs) he was like, you have the bushiest, worst eyebrows I've ever seen in my life. And Jenna, I'm telling you, I don't think before that moment, I had ever noticed my eyebrows. (laughs) Like I was such a tomboy and like just didn't, I mean, I didn't wear makeup in high school or really much in college and wasn't, I just wasn't really in that world yet. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, 
Like I have terrible eyebrows. Like this is such a random, dumb little thing, but it was just, it kind of opened the floodgates for me for all these people. So what did I do that night? I went home and I like stared at my eyebrows in the mirror and like plucked my eyebrows. I mean, it's so ridiculous. Cause this man probably, I mean, I'm sure he wasn't Brad Pitt, you know, <laughs> but like he changed the way I saw something about myself. And little by little over the next, I would say five or six years, it was one thing after another. Oh, you need a boob job. Oh, you look like you've gained weight in the off season. You know, it was just constantly one thing after another. And I, it took me so long, Jenna, to get to the place where I could finally say, guess what? All those things, even if your criticism is true, my body is not for you. Like when I wake up in the morning, I was not made to please your eye. Now, I understand that I work in a visual medium, you know, like it matters how you present yourself, of course. But the concept that women are on TV and now on social media also, because you can get such a following there is obviously, you know, like my body was not created to please you. So if it doesn't please you, that's okay. And I had to get to the place where I could acknowledge that. Like you, I think naturally so many of us, like we, and maybe all of us really, we, we want people to be pleased by us, you know, like I'm not necessarily saying that's what we live for, but we naturally like want to be pleasing to other people. And so when you're constantly hearing that you're not, I mean, I had to have like a come to Jesus moment, if you will, where I, I realized like, finally, even if those things are true, even if they're true, that's okay. Cause that's not what I was made for. I love that. I think that's so powerful. And it, it's just so crazy too. Like you said, it's like, what was that guy, the eyebrow police? But I feel like what is so hard is when people start pointing those things out about yourself, it like brings on insecurities that you didn't even have, like you didn't even acknowledge. Yes. And it's, it can be this thing that just spirals you or it can be this thing where you're like, no, I'm going to like stand in my truth. Like my identity is not found in your perception of who I am. But oh my gosh, is yeah, it easier Jenna, said than done, right? <laughs> totally. And you know what I realized also working in this industry, being around, I mean, and when I lived in New York the first time, you know, being around like supermodels and like just beautiful people all the time the most gorgeous people, women that I've ever been around were also insecure. So like, it's not like if you get to some level of beauty, then all of a sudden, all those things go away. Like, no, the insecurities are still there for the people I know that are the most beautiful, the wealthiest, the, I mean, the people you think have it all. I had roommates that were drop dead gorgeous that cried themselves to sleep at night. You know, like it's not... And that thought that, oh, if only I could be pleasing to all these people and never get any sort of bad feedback about the way I look or whatever. One, that's a pipe dream that's never going to happen because, gosh, Halle Berry was cheated on. Okay, (laughs) If Halle Berry is not beautiful enough to like keep her man or whatever they want to say, like... There's no hope for the rest of us. You know? <laughs> like, if that's what you think is going to be enough, beauty is never enough. So I had to get over that thought process of if I could only get everybody who watches to approve of everything about me, like one, that's not going to happen. And two, I just hate that now we've decided that that is that's the goal, you know, is to never get bad feedback, like bad feedback when it's about your body or the way you look is so much more a reflection of where that guy's at, you know, like, 
what grown man who's well-adjusted and loves his family and his life is like, Hey, stranger, like I see your love handles today. Like what? that's not a happy, okay person. Like, so I just had to learn to one, not look at it as much. So I, I really don't check that stuff nearly as often as I used to. And two, like just acknowledge that some of that can be true, but keep it moving. Like it's, you can get in that funk as I'm sure, you know, like if you just keep I don't know, focusing on some of those comments. Oh, I mean, okay, so let's break this down. You are not just an amazing host or a wife. You are a mom of three. And you just reported back to work after a very short maternity leave. So one, <laughs> I can only imagine the pressure on yourself and your appearance. I mean, today I look like I legitimately, I mean, I kind of did just roll out of bed. But that pressure plus like, having to leave your babies to go back to work. What has this been like navigating motherhood and chasing your dreams and being on the road? Kind of walk us through that because I think it's amazing what you're doing, but I know it can't be easy. Yeah. I mean, I have to take it a day at a time because if I think about (laughs) this stuff too much, it gets really overwhelming. My oldest is four and then I have a one-year-old and a five-week-old. So, yeah. So, and with my first, she traveled with me because Christian was still playing football and was in Minnesota and I was on the road four days a week. So she was literally on over a hundred flights before she turned one. Like it was madness, but she's very well adjusted to playing now. So that's, (laughs) that's a positive. So I didn't even really ask her anything when it came, when I first had her, I was like, look, I'm, I'm not leaving her at home four days a week. Her dad's gone all day at work. So I just brought her with me. I I just, she kind of became a part of the crew. And that's a huge credit to the men. I mean, I only really worked with men and they were so welcoming. She has all these uncles now and they would hold her while I was on set. Like, I mean, just ridiculously lucky to be in a job where, and work around men who were like that and were really embracing. Like when I told my boss that I was pregnant when I worked on college game day, it was like, awesome. You know, there was no, oh, that's not what we signed up for. Like we signed up for the young single sideline reporter and now you're married with a kid. Like, no, there was none of that. They were super supportive. So I know that's not always the case. So I'm Super grateful for that. But the last two years of hosting Sunday NFL Countdown, I mean, I had babies right before each season started. And last year was my first year taking over for Chris Berman, you know, filling this role that is impossible to fill. And then I, you know, when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, oh my gosh, like, (laughs) wait, wait, how, how am I going to do this? Like all new crew. And, And there are some things and, you know, these aren't necessarily things I'm saying are negative, but like that men just don't understand. Like I had one guy who asked me to go to an event for work four days after my due date. And I'm like, Hey, uh, it doesn't work. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. Like uh, I may not be walking. So unless you want to like wheel me there, I like, I don't think that's such a good idea, but some of that is just, it's, it's just ignorance, you know, like, they don't Men know. In this sometimes not knowing. <laughs> and I'm like, go back, ask your yeah. wife. <laughs> you know, she'll remember. You have kids. Like, let's just talk to her about it. 
But yeah, I look, it feels really early to be back on TV. I mean, especially when we do like marketing pictures and stuff. <laughs> they told me they were like, hey, we're going to have a photographer there. I was like, how about we don't? How about no? uh, <laughs> like, because, you know, that can get overwhelming. But I also think having kids totally puts things in perspective. Like, whereas before, I'm not saying I don't care how I look on camera. Obviously, I want to look my best. But before that would have felt like just so burdensome. And now I'm like, look, I want to do a great job. I want to look my best. But if some people say like, oh, you look like you gained weight. Like, yeah, I birthed a human mm-hmm. being. So um, <laughs> I'm amazing. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> but yeah, I am really enjoying being home with little ones right now. But I will say, and people are always like, how do you balance both? When I'm at work, and I'm, granted, I'm only at work on Saturdays and Sundays, but it's like a vacation, you know, like it's not an accomplishment in my mind to be able to go like it is. I have friends that are stay at home moms and are with their kids 24 seven. That to me is so much harder than the break that I get when I go into adult world and, you know, I'm not dealing with just the everyday things. So there's a downside and an upside to both for sure. It's amazing. And Price is so cute. So let's talk a little bit about kind of her entry into the world and what that looks like for you guys, because it wasn't super smooth sailing and there was a lot of twists and turns there too. Yeah, for sure. So all three of my pregnancies have been healthy. And you know, when things are going well, it's like you don't you don't realize it's almost like, you know, you don't know how great it is to be healthy until you get sick. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like every time I get even like the smallest cold, I start to feel like I'm never going to feel okay again. And then you feel okay. And you forget again, like how grateful you are to be healthy. Well, that's kind of how it was. Like I had had such great pregnancies. Everything had been fine. Both of my first two had been healthy. And then we're in the hospital with Price. I have her, we come home a day later, like nothing wrong. And then I just noticed like probably day two, something was off, you know, like she, she wasn't eating the way my other two had. She seemed to, at first I thought like just spitting up a lot. And then I realized like, no, this is more like vomiting. Like this is not normal for a baby. And then on day three, she was just completely unable to keep down any food. And it was like, scary, scary vomiting, like not, oh, she may be a little bit sick and just stopped breathing and rushed her to the ER in the ambulance and had to have emergency surgery in the middle of the night, brought in the chief surgeon who then told us like, if we wouldn't have brought her then she, we would have lost her six hours later. Like it was that extreme. She has this big incision across her stomach. Like it still feels like a complete blur. Like it wasn't even real. I mean, every day when I like put the cream on her stomach to help her scar, it's just a reminder, like what happened, you know? And and when you get in those moments of trauma, especially when you haven't been through that before, I mean, I felt like the walking dead, you know, I'm just kind of a zombie trying to figure out, cause we were in the NICU for a week after that as she recovered. But like when you go from, oh, everything's great, everything's great to like, wait, how am I going to function as a human being if what could happen here happens, you know, and just being the most vulnerable, the most scared, the most all the emotions that I've ever been, especially in those two and a half hours of being in a waiting room while your three day old is in 
surgery that you don't know how it's going to go. You don't even really know anything about what's going on. It all happens so fast. We're just like searching everything on our phones and trying to figure stuff out. But you hand your newborn baby over to a surgeon you don't know and a team of people that you just have to trust, know what's best for her. But for me, it was just such a wake up call. You know, it was such a like, all right, what do you really believe? What do you really believe about God, about people, about his plans for us? And if he really does know better than I do as her mom. And then it was about, for me, thinking about people that I saw every day in a different way. You know, like I, especially living in New York City now, like, you know, people will be mean or short or aggressive or whatever. And it's so easy to be like brush people off. Like, oh, you're a jerk. You're mean. Like not knowing anything about what they're going through. You know, I would be walking around getting to the hospital just in a complete like haze in a, I mean, honestly, like just out of body experience and realizing like nobody around me has any clue what I'm going. Like these are the darkest days of my life, but nobody cares. Like, and not that they even would know that there was any way to know. It's not like I was just like bawling 24 seven for them to see, but still it kind of reframed the way that I saw other people and the compassion that I have for just hurting people that we are passing by every day. And honestly, to what we were talking about earlier, some of that was also the way I respond to people on social media. Like the people that are saying things to me where I want to be like, wow, you are really mean. Like, how could you say that? I'm like, I don't know what they're going through. I don't know the loss that they've suffered or the fears that they're dealing with right now. Like some of this may just be a reflection of that. So obviously we're super grateful that she came out great and she's super healthy now and is doing amazingly well. But it was in some ways the worst thing that's ever happened to us, but also so much good has already come out of that experience. Thank you so much for sharing. There's this thing on Facebook and I don't know who created it, but it goes along exactly with what you just said. And it was saying about how someone was driving behind a car and they had a sign up in the back that said, I'm so sorry, I'm learning how to drive stick. And the person behind them was like, I was suddenly so much more patient. And I remembered when I learned how to drive stick and how scary and frustrating and fearful it was. And it was like, imagine if we were able to walk around with signs on our chest that said what we were walking through, whether it was cancer or miscarriage or infertility or divorce or whatever that was, how much different we could treat one another. And I just think like it was such a cool story because I'm like, oh, I could totally get frustrated if there's a car in front of me stalling out and, you know, and then it's like, man, if we just could see what was actually happening, I think it could change so much. And so it's just crazy. That's what connects us, right? Is struggle. And that's what I spent my entire life. I'm 32 now. Like I spent my entire life up to now trying to avoid struggle, right? Like you don't want bad things to happen. You don't want. And then I realized the only people we can't relate to as humans are the people we think are perfect and that have no struggle. You know, like that's not the person you want to sit down and share a cup of coffee with and talk through life with because you can't relate to that person. Our mutual struggle is really what connects us as humans. And I feel so much more connected to the people I'm around, even if I don't even talk to them, just like out on the street and seeing all the, I mean, gosh, in New York City, just seeing the pain 
everywhere, like that people are dealing with, it makes you so much more compassionate, so much more relatable. And relationship is really what we're looking for in life anyway, right? Like connecting with other people. So what I didn't realize is the thing I was trying to avoid all these years was actually keeping me from connecting with people. And I feel so grateful, obviously, that worst case scenario didn't happen to us, but that I got a glimpse of worst case scenario so that now I'm able to connect more to people I don't even know. Incredible. I just, I agree so much. And I think that for so long, especially as women and women that have platforms, I feel like we're taught that you have to have it all together. You have to look perfect. You have to be perfect in order to be accepted. How has it been being in this male dominated industry, kind of carving your path? You're a wife, you're a mom, you're doing these big things. Like, do you feel like you have to prove yourself? Do you feel like there are walls you have to break down to earn people's respect? Where are you kind of at nowadays? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, there are always going to be people who, because I'm a woman, don't want me talking sports. And those aren't the people that I can do anything about. You know, like once someone decides, I don't want to hear a female voice talking about this game. Some of that is just because sports are nostalgic for so many people, myself included. And if you change something about it, like for instance, put a lot more female voices connected to this sport, it disconnects them or so they think from the feelings they always got surrounding the sport, if that makes sense. So if I grew up listening to Chris Berman my whole life and all of a sudden this girl Sam Ponder is on there, like some of that, some people just, you know, think I'm not good at my job. Some people can't handle a female voice taking that position. So those are the people I can't do anything about. So I don't really worry about that. I think for me, a huge adjustment I've made is I always used to think it was such a compliment to be called one of the guys, you know, like growing up, I grew up around a lot of guys because my dad was a coach and everything. And I I always kind of wanted to be one of the guys. And so when somebody said that, I was like, oh yeah, good. That means I'm like easy to get along with and all that. And then I started realizing like, why do I, I associate negativity with femininity? You know, like why, why is it better to be one of the guys and not like one of the girls. Like I was kind of disconnecting myself from my femininity in order to work in a male dominated industry. And what I realized was that was an issue internally with me, not appreciating and loving the way that God made me uniquely female, you know? And In this industry, I think it's really easy to go one way or the other, do like the hypersexuality, I'm going to be like the sex symbol type position, or like go super masculine and like, I'm just going to try and sound like one of the guys and say the same things they do and do the same things they do. There's not a whole lot of in between. So it's been really important for me to reevaluate like, why, why do I think about womanhood the way I do? And how has God like uniquely wired me to both be around men, but still be distinctly female? And I think it's still a work in progress for me. Like I think every day I kind of think through some of these things and realize some of the things that maybe from my childhood or from experiences I've had that kind of led me to be that way. But I think most of the issues in terms of the way men deal with me or the issues that I deal with being a woman in this career, I can kind of trace back to like, all right, 
what's really going on inside? Like, what are my insecurities? What are my fears? Why am I letting these other people determine my worth? Like, why do I think it's better when the guys pat me on the back? Like, why is that kind of stuff valuable to me and kind of make it more an internal discussion than it is like complaining about, oh, the men say this or the men, like there are advantages and disadvantages. So I try and bring it all back to like who I am on the inside and who I'm trying to become instead of like complaining about, I don't know, somebody giving me a hard time because I'm technically a minority in this industry. I think that's so powerful. And I I think there's got to be something about our 30s that like make us turn inward and like really ask some of those questions of like, why do I believe this? Or why do I feel this way? And I'm sure parenthood too has like taught you a lot or made you kind of reflect on your own upbringing and childhood and belief system and everything too. Yeah, because it's never enough, Jenna. Like when you you can make a bunch of money, you can find the husband, you can get the great job. Like everything I thought was gonna, you know, fix things for me or make me feel like I was enough or, you know, that I was something special. Like it never lasted. There was always the immediate like, wow, I found a great husband. Oh, I have these great kids. Oh, look at this amazing job I got. Like I have plenty of money. I, you know, all those things that I thought as a kid or as I grew up that would kind of like do it for me, you know, like make me feel like I was enough. They never worked. Like it was always a short term. Oh, I'm so excited about this. And then, you know, the honeymoon phase wears off. Oh, I'm so excited about this. And then, wow, kids are hard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited about this. Like, man, you can only buy enough stuff. Like it's never going to satisfy your soul. And I think in, in my thirties for me is where I finally started to realize like, even when I get all the things I want, like nothing changes. Like wherever you go, there you are, you know, like whether you have a bunch of money or a little bit of money or you are single or you have a husband. I'm not saying those things aren't good things. They can be good things, but they aren't ultimate things. You know, like they don't fix who we are on the inside. If anything, they just expose the issues that we have on the inside. I mean, some of the most successful, powerful people I know are the most insecure and always looking over their shoulder and like, how do I hang on to this position? And how do I make sure I'm still looking a certain way when I'm like, man, when I'm getting into my fifties, if I'm still working in this industry, I do not want to be trying to compete physically with some 25 year old girl. Like I would like, man, that's pathetic. Like, I don't want that. And I see why it happens. But I'm hoping that I can learn in my 30s that if you get on that hamster wheel, if you will, you never get off. Like, it's just it's exhausting. And it's never enough. And you never actually get anywhere. You just get more and more insecure. I agree. I think you'll never fully arrive. You'll never make it. You're always on to the next thing. I think we weren't wired to feel fully complete on this earth. Like, I don't think that was the purpose because we shouldn't, you know, there's always more. Yes. We're just looking for satisfaction in things that don't have the capacity to satisfy us like good things, but things that cannot like fully fill those voids. And we've been told, you know, in our generation of women, like you can have it all, you can do it all. Like you're like, I'm all for girl power. Like, yes, I love that. I can tell my daughters, like, look, you have so much opportunity. You can do so many things, but I don't want them to buy into the lie that those things are going to make them okay. You know, that those things are going to fix the angst inside them or the anxiety or whatever. Like, no, they will just magnify them. 
And that can be whether it's stuff you put on your kids or your job or your husband, like trying to find satisfaction in things that weren't meant to satisfy us only leads us to more despair or more distraction, whether it's alcohol or drugs or just staying super busy in work, like trying to medicate that we're still not full, you know, <laughs> like that there's still that void there. So I try and just be honest with myself when I see myself looking for basically love in all the wrong places, you know, looking for fulfillment in other things, but it's a daily struggle. Well, you're not alone. Let me tell you. So last question is just like, what are you excited about right now? What's firing you up? What's getting you out of bed in the morning? What's something that you're looking forward to? Oh, I am looking forward to a vacation. I um, it's been I think three years now since I, I I keep having these babies, so it makes it difficult. Before I got married, I loved to travel and spend some time in Zimbabwe and places in Europe. And we, my family has a ministry to young kids that we use sports through, and they do it over in Palestine and in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. So I would love to get out and explore and travel and and take my kids. Although Jenna, I'm sure you'll learn this, obviously becoming a mom that, you know, when you vacation, totally kids, different. it's just yep. a trip. <laughs> it is a trip. It is not a vacation. So maybe two of those, maybe one trip with the kids and then a vacation with just Christian and I, but I value rest. I think rest is like ordained from God to matter in this world. Like we have got to get some rest. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Next time you're in Minnesota, you have to let me know. But where can everybody connect with you and find you and follow you? Because I would love for them to just have more Sam in their lives. I don't know if that's what anybody (laughs) wants, but in in case they do, I'm going to repeat that to my husband later. Like there's someone out there that he's like, I'm looking for less, but I am on Twitter at Sam underscore Ponder and then on Instagram. Amazing. Thank you so much for just sharing your heart and your story today. I know that you touch so many lives and you kind of show women what's possible, especially if they start hostessing at a restaurant in New York City city you're giving us all hope so thank you thank you thank you hey you just never know right never know (laughs) so there you guys have it oh my gosh sam is just so inspiring i did not want to end the interview like i just kept watching the clock go and i'm like can we just keep talking but i think she shared so much wisdom with us just about dealing with the word no and hearing from people that might not say the kindest things about you and and really just diligence to break into an industry that maybe she didn't see herself being reflected in and i love so much about her talking about protecting those yeses and seeing that big picture and making sure that everything you're committing to is aligning to that bigger goal. I think so often when we're starting out, when we're passionate, we want to say yes to everything because we believe the lie that maybe that one opportunity is our big break. But I really love that she foresaw this vision that was further down the road and made decisions based on that. I think this woman is incredible. And if your husbands and if you like to watch sports, you've probably seen her on TV. I am so excited to continue watching her journey and cheering her on. I am so amazed at how incredible of a woman she is. 
What an awesome episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We would love to hear from you. If you want to hop on over to Instagram at Gold Digger Podcast, make sure to thank Sam for her time and her energy and her expertise. And tell us what you want to hear next. We love hearing from our listeners. Until next time, Gold Diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. And a huge, giant thank you to the amazing Samantha Ponder. Thanks for listening to the Gold Digger Podcast. Dive into the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend. The more the merrier. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, you gold digger you. Hey, gold diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer care team is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and I was there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more.